Hello, everyone, and welcome to Occupation Station. My name is Anna. And I'm Amy. Welcome back, everyone. We know it's been a while since we last talked, and we're really sorry about that. But finishing up level twos during a pandemic is a lot harder than I think we may have anticipated. We had also been working on our occupation of podcasting presentation for the Texas Occupational Therapy Association Conference. So thank you to all that helped us put that project together, as well as a special thanks to anyone who attended. So if you are a new listener, welcome. Yes. And if you're an old listener, welcome back. <laughs> uh, just quick update, I guess. Uh, we are officially done with a level two fieldworks. Whoop, whoop. And we're done. We are done with our OT program. But on the books, we graduate this Saturday. So until then, the mystery of where we go to school will remain. <laughs> but after Saturday, we'll let you guys know. Um, but I don't know. It kind of feels weird to say that, that we're done, you know? I, mm -hmm. I personally still don't feel like it's happening. I feel like we've been kind of like in this fog of doing that therapy ed workshop and starting to study for the board exam. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, the other day we had a, a meeting with all of our professors and we just did like a little look back reflection on uh, what OT school was like. And then Amy oh, said, so is this the last time we're going to see them? And I was like, no. And then I realized, wait, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. And that's, I mean, yeah, that was our, this therapy ed thing was our last class that we had. It was weird not doing it, sitting next to one another. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that we had always kind of looked forward to because all the years before us, you know, they would come back. And even the, the class above us, when they came back, we were so excited to see them. So I think that was something mm -hmm. that we were always like looking forward to. And again, it's one of those things that we had to miss out on, but it's okay. We survived. Yeah. It's just another part of the situation. And I, if anything, I just look to the class after us and maybe even a couple of classes after us this is going to be their reality so yeah we were lucky enough to have our classes together as long as we did i know yeah seriously um so today's episode we want to recap our level twos with you guys and hopefully give you some insight from our own lived experience the format today is going to be a little bit different in that we'll be interviewing each other, which we've never done before. No, and I'm excited. I think, you know, we sit down every now and then and talk to each other about our fieldworks, but this is going to be a different kind of conversation that we haven't gotten to have. And I look forward to learning a little bit more from you about your fieldwork. I think, I feel like this is something that everyone should do because I'm so interested in what everyone has done in their yes. fieldworks. Yes, Um so, but yeah. Um, Amy, we'll start off with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your placement? Um, so my first setting was in outpatient orthopedics in San Angelo, Texas. Shout out. Whoop, whoop. Um, hi, Leroy. It was primarily hands. Um, there was one OT that did outpatient neuro that I got to watch a couple times. And obviously, like she was in the gym, I would get to see her. But um, I didn't really do that much neuro other than one patient that I had in the pool. Um, so I did get to do a little bit of pool therapy, which was really awesome because I have a swimming background. So pool therapy is something that I've always been super interested in. So I did get mm -hmm. to do some of that there. Um, but yeah, it was just your typical like hands placement. 
a lot of uh, shoulder stuff, a lot of distal radial fractures, a lot of splinting, which was awesome. But yeah, it was great. I really, really loved it. Um, loved going in every single day. Was super hyped going like on my drive to work every day. Um, so it was just, it was truly the best field work experience that I think I could have asked for. Um, and then my second level two was in, it was in El Paso. Um, it was a little bit of a combination of home health pediatrics and outpatient pediatrics. And due to COVID, we were also doing a lot of telehealth. And it was like, we pretty regularly had like two or three telehealth patients. But, um, you know, during the 12 weeks that I was there, there were a couple COVID exposures that we had. So then we were doing even more telehealth. Um, So I actually finished up my last week doing telehealth. Um, which was kind of unexpected and kind of sad because I didn't get to see all of my kiddos before I left and I didn't get to say bye to them. Um, so I didn't get to get that closure, but um, yeah, it was great. I don't know that home health is my calling. Um, I don't know that it's the right setting for me, which is okay, you know, but um, I learned a lot. Uh, I had a really good time. Kids are awesome. Yeah. I look I I really want to ask you more about the telehealth portion because I didn't get any experience with telehealth and I feel like now that's such a big part of healthcare. Yeah. I'm like, oh God, I kinda wish I would have done some. Yeah. I honestly I have like kind of mixed feelings about telehealth just because I think starting out with telehealth, I was like, this is a complete nightmare. Um actually like the first week that I was there, I was just kind of shadowing that first week um, because there was another student finishing her last or she was finishing her last week of her first level two. Um, So I was watching her treat that week and there was one telehealth session where uh, our camera wasn't working and their camera wasn't working. Like, I don't know what it was with the system, but I think they could only hear each other and they couldn't like screen share or anything. So it was like doing telehealth with a phone call and it was crazy and it was super unexpected and it just kind of happened out of nowhere and the stuff that she had prepared, like she couldn't do any of it. So it was just like the three of us there kind of like on the fly figuring out how to provide (laughs) outpatient pediatric services over the the phone. That sounds like a nightmare. I was just sitting there. I was like, oh my God, this is my future. Like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) But I mean, it got easier. Like as I did it more, um, Mm -hmm. I think is true with like a lot of things. Um, Yeah. And it wasn't my favorite, but. But it is part of our reality these days. So. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to keep seeing that. And honestly, like, I hope that it stays around after all of this is mm-hmm. said and done. Um, because I know like we, there were a few times where we were waiting on the insurances to extend that telehealth approval because at first it was like, oh, we're only going to do it until June or July or whenever. And then oh, we're going to push it back to October. Oh, we're going to push it back to November. And it just kept getting pushed back because obviously this isn't over yet. So I hope that that's something that could stick around just as an option. I mean, it's not ideal because you can't be hands-on, but for some kids, I think it was more helpful than others. 
And I think, you know, if you consider families that live in rural areas where it's really difficult for them to get out there to get services, even if it's like maybe they can drive out once a week instead of every single day mm-hmm. and then can do telehealth for other days. Yeah. That, I feel like that would be pretty meaningful. Yeah. And even like with supervision too, because there were a couple times where my CI, he had a CODA and he needed to supervise, I think it was like two hours a week. And so like with using the telehealth system, they would just like put us on and we would just like sit there and watch them. Okay. Which instead of like having to like drive out there or I don't really know how they did it before, but it saved my CI a trip out. Yeah. My first question this is going to be, I feel like this is a really hard question, but um, what were the hardest parts of your field works? Ooh, I think the hardest part for my first one, I think is um, the amount of information that I felt that I needed to know and mm-hmm. on like a daily basis with hands and just outpatient ortho, I think it's uh just a lot of information to know and to get under your belt. And I felt like I didn't know what I was doing until probably week eight or nine. Like I felt like, like come midterm, I felt like I was drowning. I felt like I didn't know anything. I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like super discouraged because I was just like, I've been here for six, eight weeks. Why am I, why am I not getting this? why is this still so hard? Like my brain, like I would come home from work and like my brain would be so tired and it was super physically and emotionally draining. But then come like week nine or like the end of week eight, it just like, just kind of clicked and -hmm. things just got like so much easier. And like, I finally felt like I knew what I was doing and I got into a, this groove and, you know, with the clients, with my CI, with all my coworkers, and it just felt so good. And I think that was, especially like having that transition mm-hmm. on not only a first level two, but at an outpatient ortho, like outpatient ortho is usually a second level two. And so I think I was kind of at a disadvantage that I had it at my first level two. I did it, you know, and I think that, um, talking with yeah it might have taken you a little bit longer to get to that groove but yeah yeah that's also such a huge learning experience having that challenge yeah for sure and I was even talking with um, one of the other students that was there at the time she was with the OT that was doing outpatient neuro and um, I was there probably like two or three weeks before her and um, when her midterm came around I asked her like, oh, like, how are you feeling? You know, do you feel kind of like you get you like you're getting in your groove, like, you know what you're doing yet? And then she was like, no, like, I feel like I'm so behind. And I feel like she wants me to be learning faster than I can learn and, you know, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And um, I remember telling her like, yeah, like, I felt like that too. And I was not doing well in my mind. But I told her, I was like, just like, keep doing what you're doing. Cause obviously like what you're doing right now is working. So just keep doing it and it'll click and you'll have that moment where it kind of just like all comes together and things just make sense and you'll be fine. Um, and sure enough, it did happen mm-hmm. for her too. So I think that was something too, that my, um, my, uh, big had told me 
that going into it, like you're going to be lost. And even our professors, I think they told us like, you're going to be lost. You're not going to know what you're doing. And then you're finally going to get into routine. And then it's like, oh, you have to leave and onto the next one and back to square one. Mm So, um, that's true. (laughs) It definitely (laughs) happens. I think not a myth. (laughs) Yeah. But that was probably like the hardest part about level, the first level two. And then the second one, I kind of was anticipating like that kind of transition. But I think the hardest part about level two was the home health aspect of it because I personally don't really like to go into people's houses, like strangers' houses. Mm-hmm. And I had heard a lot of like horror stories of home health. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, the majority of my home health cases were, you know, with really great families and, you know, it was a good time. And, you know, those are probably the kids that I got really close to, but there was, I did have a not so great experience. And I think that's like totally normal and expected, you know, you can't hit a bullseye hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So that was probably the hardest part of the second one. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think home health would be for me either. I haven't really had a lot of experience doing home health. I had some shadowing experience doing home health. Oh, wow. Um, but it just, it's just like, it's a different dynamic. Yeah. It's just yeah. a different dynamic. And it takes someone who is, I feel like it takes someone who's really extroverted, <laughs> um, yeah. who's willing to like go out there and like feel comfortable in somebody else's home very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, like, with COVID, I was, like, super uncomfortable yeah, going yeah. into people's houses. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, I knew what I was doing, but, like, I didn't know what they were doing. And also, El Paso, yeah. for the last, like, month that I was there, was, like, the hot spot in the entire country. Like, it was bad. Mm-hmm. It was not good. So, yeah. yep. lots of stress. Kind of going from, you know, you were saying, oh, they told us this, and that was definitely true. How do you feel your expectations versus the reality of field work how do you feel like those matched up or didn't match up I think with both of them I was doing my best to kind of come in with little to no expectations about my experience because I think like having gone through level ones I hit both ends of the spectrum where I was having like a really bad experience in one but then Mm -hmm. in the other I was having like a really good experience So I was just kind of trying to keep it realistic and kind of keeping my mind open to whatever came because I I think I still kind of was in between outpatient peds and outpatient ortho as what I wanted to specialize in. So I think that keeping that open mind really helped that transition with both just because I think it helped me process the bullets as I came flying better, yeah. you know? Yeah. I like that metaphor. Cause like, honestly, I think we had like talked about that in one of the fieldwork yeah. episodes that we had done. And it's one thing to sit here and like tell people that, but then once you're in it, taking your own advice is hard, <laughs> I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I think, well, really that episode that we did where we read people's responses, mm-hmm on fieldworks that helped me so much yeah I honestly if you're gonna if you're about to start your level two or if you're starting to look into your level twos and you have the jitters that come along with it 
that episode for me was so helpful personally. And there was so much that I carried with me in the future when I was doing my field works. But I remember we recorded that like right before we started our level twos. Mm -hmm. And so, and I was so, so, so nervous going into that. And so that just, I, when we recorded it, it took a weight off my shoulders. And then there was stuff from like advice that other people had given us that Mm -hmm. I carried with me throughout. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think just to like quickly add to this chunk of stuff that we're talking about, something that I didn't anticipate struggling with in the first one was my confidence. I didn't think that it was something that I needed to really work on. Cause I mean, I, I remember, and I remember like telling people in that episode, just fake it till you make it. Even if you don't think that, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be like, just the client doesn't need to know that just do whatever you're being told to do with like gusto. And I think that I had a really hard time with that because there were so many bullets flying and Mm -hmm. like I remember my CI he was just like you need to show your personality like you need to be confident like you're the you're the therapist now like you're not a student anymore you need to act like a therapist and it would like shatter my confidence I would go home and I'd be like oh my god he thinks that I don't have a personality and he feels like I'm just very not confident. I was like, but how do you like pretend to be confident when you're like trying to figure out what to do? And like, it was super overwhelming for like a really long time. But I think like, as I got more comfortable, then I was able to kind of build on that confidence. And by the end of it, like that was something that he told mm-hmm. me on my email was that it's something that he noticed that I had grown in too. So yeah, just yeah. fake it till you make it. Just, I know it's hard. Just try your it. best. Just try. <laughs> It's so funny how I feel like CIs, I mean, maybe not every CI, but like, I feel like CIs sometimes notice things. I remember when he told you that and you told me, you were like, do I not appear confident? And in my mind, I'm like, Amy, Amy doesn't appear confident. What are you talking about? But like, they just have this outside perspective and like, can so tell when you're nervous. Yes. Yes. It's, It's weird. They do. I mean, I think maybe we got lucky with having good CIs, but mine was also very good about that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Even with like masks on, like half your face, (laughs) they can still read you like an open book. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that part of like the OTPF? Maybe so. Like reading people's auras? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. I mean, after you've worked with so many people, you kind of start to figure out. Pick out the weak ones. Just kidding. (laughs) Pick out the not exactly what I meant, but yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you, because I was about it, but I also think would be really helpful to a lot of our listeners. When you first started your second level two, which was your peds, I remember immediately there was this acknowledgement of this is not for me. You know, I'm, this isn't my field. I'm really into hands. And I, I think a lot of people that I know that have done their field works very quickly on, they'll realize like, this is not my setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even in a super negative way of like, I don't want to do this, but just like that realization of this is just not for me. And I don't know if it's like OT school has now kind of primed us to knowing when a situation is something that we're super passionate about or mm-hmm. 
whatever it may be, but what would be your advice for someone who goes into a placement and they have that, that gut feeling like I don't necessarily love this or I'm not really enjoying this as much as I thought I would be? I have so much to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, because I really think that people want to hear it. Yeah. It was day three of my first level two. And I was, I don't remember what exactly I was doing, but it was day three. And I had like already decided I'm going to go into hands. Like I want to do hands. Nothing will ever be cooler than this. You know, this is where I'm supposed to be. So then going from that, you know, from really like having that mentality with my first level one or level two and kind of building on that for the rest of my time there. Going into my second level two, I tried to reel it in and I was like, okay, I was originally interested in outpatient peds when I started OT school. Let's see how it goes. You know, maybe, maybe I'll fall in love with it and, you know, outpatient peds is what what I'm going to do. But within like, it was the same thing within like one or two days. I just, it's just something that you feel like, you know, like, you know, I really don't see myself doing this in the long run. For me personally, outpatient peds is cool. I love working with kids. Kids are hilarious. They're so much fun. Um, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And having that recognition of that feeling and kind of processing processing it and living with it helped me be a better therapist for them in that it helped me, you know, have more fun with them. Cause I was like, yes, I'm going to take this seriously. But at the same time, like, let's just see what I can do to make this the best learning experience. Cause maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe I don't do outpatient peds, but what can I learn for one passing the board exam and two, like what other skills would be transferable to another setting? So like documentation, that kind of like observation, that kind of thing, always with that like parent um, interaction, you're always talking to clients, Mm -hmm. you know, all that, all that stuff. They're all skills that you're going to be using at some point. So I think that even if that's not the setting for you, pick out what you can learn and really like use it as a learning experience, like maximize that learning experience. And yeah, there were days that sometimes it would kind of be like dragging my feet through the mud going to work because I just wouldn't, it wasn't what I was passionate about, but being aware of that was, you know, it's okay. And Mm -hmm. I would talk to my roommate about it and she is a licensed counselor, I think. is her, I don't remember her title, but she told me her advice, you know, was to just, if this isn't it for you and like this part's hard and it's, it's hard in the way that like, it just, you're not motivated to find that motivation. You have to find the underlying motivator. Like, why are you doing this? Like, what is the reason that you're here? Mm-hmm. And so tapping into that, I think was a good, helpful motivator to get through. I I think that advice even applies to people in general. I mean, like, yes, people in general, but when, if you're in OT school right now and you're in a class where you're like, I hate this. That was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) unfortunately, that was me with hands at first. Mm -hmm. And when we took our hands class, I was like, I cannot, this is not how I work. This is not how my brain works. And I had to sit down and be like, okay, but this is important. And I'm going to see patients that need my help with this. And like, 
finding finding that there's there's other things that can motivate you to push through and figure it out and uh seeing the value yeah because we definitely we had one friend who i won't name but she had her hands rotation and she was also like constantly texting me about you know like i just don't want to do this this isn't for me how are you doing? Like, how do you get through that? And mm-hmm. I told her what I, what I was told, you know, you just got to find that underlying reason and just ride that wave till the end. Yeah. After all of this, after field work and just really like this time, you can even think of it like in the grand scheme of these few months, what has been your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway is that I think now more than ever, I feel that responsibility as an almost occupational therapist to do the most good. And I think we have a lot of power in our skills and so much potential to help other people. And that's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's a, it's a, it's a very big responsibility, but it's also really cool, you know, cause we're able to give people or help people regain or, you know, learn skills, adapt, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's crazy. Like it's so crazy to me how our skills are helping us do that for people. That's Mm -hmm. probably like not the best way to say it, but like occupational therapy is so cool. Like at the end of the day, it is, it is so cool. It's so cool. I watched a video the other day of this um, woman who was like 80 something years old and her on her, her last bucket list item was to go skiing again. So they, they take her skiing and it wasn't, I don't think it was an occupational therapist or anything, but someone made this happen and she was so happy. And I just started crying and I was like, this is how I feel when I do occupational therapy. Like, this is how I feel getting to give someone the opportunity to do these kinds of things that they love and that bring meaning to their lives. Yeah, it truly is just the best profession. And then I have, I have one last question, which is a question that we had asked in the episode where we read all the different experiences and whatnot. If you had one piece of advice to give to a student going into their level two field works, what would it be? It would be a couple of things, but the top two, I think, would be to be ready because it's going to be hard. And if it's easy, cool, power to you, but more likely than not, it's going to be hard and it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to suck sometimes and you're going to go home and cry because I definitely did that, you know, a lot. Um, no surprise there, but it's going to be hard and it's going to feel like really bad sometimes. Like you're going to feel like you don't know what you're doing. You're going to feel like you're incompetent, but at the end of the day, this is a learning experience. And my first CI told me, he was like, you know, you can't come in here and expect to be able to provide the therapy that I would provide. I have 15 years experience on you. You can't expect to provide the services that so-and-so would do. They have this many years on you. Like your goal is not to do what we do. Your goal is to get to entry level. 
And he told me that pretty early on. And I had I had that realization sooner, I think I would have been a lot easier on myself and I would have been a lot kinder to myself. And so I wish that I had done that um, and really taken that because I, I wasn't nice to myself. And I think that made it even harder. But you're going to do it and you're going to be great and just keep working, put your head down, do the hard work. You can do hard things. You can do hard things. Yes. And I think the second part to that would just be to go in with humility, um, lead with your humility because you don't know anything. Um, <laughs> you do. You do know things. But um, when it comes to clinic stuff, like you, you don't know anything. And that's why you're there to learn. So. All right. Well, Amy, thanks for sharing about your experience. Thanks for making this so easy. <laughs> All right, Anna, could you tell the class about the settings that you're in? Yes, of course. So my first one was a really interesting setting. I was in an emerging fieldwork site, meaning that uh, they don't currently have occupational therapists on staff, and I was supervised for eight hours a week, at least, sometimes more. Um, and it was in a foster care campus, which is essentially, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's a bunch of houses where children who are in the foster care system live, and they have foster parents at each house, there's about 12 kids per house. And a lot of what I did in that field work was work with them through uh, trauma and uh, sensory regulation, coping mechanisms. And I did do a lot of work with the teens in working on vocational development and stuff like that. But it was a very unique field work where it was like group therapy and individual therapy and outpatient but also home health uh, and I worked with 60 plus kids ranging ages 0 to 21 plus essentially and then my second field work was a post-acute neurorehabilitation clinic where I worked with both individuals with acquired and traumatic brain injuries and spinal cord injuries um, and they were both in Lubbock, in the Lubbock area. Going back to that emerging site, how did your supervision work? Like, do you want to share about who was supervising? Yes. This site that I was at is one that we, that our school uses as a level one fieldwork site as well. And they had been wanting to make it into a level two fieldwork site for some time, but they just didn't really have any students that weren't interested in that. And they, now that our program is becoming a doctoral program, they want to do capstone projects at that location. And they offered me this opportunity and I was supervised by both the director of the occupational therapy program at our school and the pediatrics professor at our school. And they kind of switched on and off in supervising me depending on what they had going on. And essentially, a lot of what it would be like at first would be them coming in and saying, okay, what do you, what do you have in mind? So my first few weeks, it was essentially kind of just 
going around and helping out in different activities that they had. I worked a lot with their um, recreational director who ran all of their summer programs. And she technically, she also was a supervisor, even though she's not an occupational therapist. And I would just help her with her groups and stuff like that. And then I would identify children that needed extra help or things that could be changed through different groups that might be helpful. And then when my supervisors would come onto the foster care campus for their weekly time, they would be like, okay, what what do you have in mind? What are your thoughts? What do you want to do? And it was very kind of self-led in that way where I would say, okay, well, I think that this group would be really interesting or I'm seeing this kid who has, I've noticed these specific things. I think this assessment would be good for these reasons. And this is what my intervention plan is. And would essentially walk them through all of my planning and they would give me the okay. Uh, Some of the times they would get to be there for the sessions, especially if it was a a specific client that I thought, oh, you know, like I kind of need an extra hand or I don't really know what I'm doing in this situation definitely for assessments. For the most part, they were present unless it was an assessment I had already done in front of them or if it was some kind of screen. And a lot of the ways that we ended up going through that is I had my, I created my own documentation process and I documented all of the assessments as well. And everything was just at the beginning, I always had a paragraph saying this was done by a student and I would write whether I had supervision or not for it. And they would read everything I did and sign off on it um, before it was given to the specific people at the facility. You were the OT on campus. So there was no, like you were kind of there building that program, like building that OT program. Like no one was telling you that you needed to do a soap note or like what kind of. No. And they actually didn't even tell me I had to document my sessions, but I felt with 60 plus kids, it was really hard for me to keep up like keep track of okay well what did I do with this child or what am I concerned about with this kid and so I started off doing it it kind of looked like a quick screen where I had self-regulation problems social psychological problems and then I had you know like sensory regulation uh, tactile visual auditory or something like that and I would just check off things so I would write the child's first name the date that I did it. And if that day I was doing something with them and I noticed something, I would check that off. And then I also had a box for an occupational profile where I would write, they have these siblings, they live in this area, they like doing these things, stuff like that. So what do you think were the benefits and challenges of having that amount of supervision, not only like on your first level too, but at a site that (laughs) we're sort of familiar with there's I mean there's definitely a lot I would say starting off more with the the benefits side of it I've always been a very I'm a more anxious kind of person and I second guess myself a lot and I don't have that confidence that I would want to have as a therapist and that helped me immensely because at the end of the day, I would say, like, look at what I've accomplished. Like, I'm seeing these kids and I'm seeing, like, it's me. I'm the one that's helping them and I'm making the difference. 
And so that was really helpful. Also, I had to throw myself into it. Like I had to go up to people and say, this child needs to be seen for this, 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 and this. Like, I mean, obviously not, I never diagnosed or anything like that, but I'd be like, they need to go see their GP because I noticed all of these things. It's almost like you were getting like thrown into like a fight or flight situation where you had no choice but to like excel. Yeah. And so it, it did, it did wonders for my confidence. And on top of that, it, something that I'm really grateful for in that field work is that I didn't get boxed in, in some sort of way. Not that field works, it kind of depends on your site, but when, when you have a CI that's there with you at all times and you have a setting where things are done a certain way, it's like you use this assessment and you learn that assessment or you work through this problem like this and for me it was like the sky's the limit like you look up the assessments that you want to do and we'll figure out how to get those for you you try and think of how you can provide an intervention for this and I would go I'd have to go into those meetings and have all of that written down and say okay well this was what I was thinking but I didn't have a CI saying well typically this is what we do in this kind of situation And I mean, I had my experience from my classes, but it's just very different. And so I think that in the future, when I'm going into a job, I'm going to be able to look at things with a bigger scope and not kind of push myself into, well, the clinic does it this way. (laughs) It might make it harder for me a little bit in like conforming into the way that some places may do it. But I think it's also going to help me push boundaries and be a better therapist because of that. As far as challenges go, so many. <laughs> you have to you have to be so organized in that kind of setting. You have to just like really think through every single little thing and you also have to have the confidence and you have to have I would I would come home. I worked probably like 11 hour days in that field work and then I would come home and I would work more. It was never ending. I would come home on the weekends and work more. But at the same time, it was like, this was my little project and it was, it was me. And so it was like, well, I'm not really doing this for anybody else other than me because this is going to help me for the upcoming week. But it was a lot of hard work. And then at the same time, you know, even though, oh, it made me really creative with coming up with different kinds of ways to do things. I feel like if I ever go into a a pediatric clinic, uh, they're going to be like, you've never, you've never done, I don't know, I'm thinking like Matt Man with writing without, uh, handwriting without tears or something like that. You've never done the Matt Man song. And I'm going to be like, nah, um, uh, stuff like that. (laughs) I actually learned that one when I taught handwriting without tears in in undergrad, but like, I feel like little things like that where clinics are going to be like, everyone that does a pediatric field work has done this specific thing. And I'm like, mine was a little different yeah it had its ups and its downs and I think that if you are the kind of student who is pretty organized and who has that room for growth or like that drive to teach yourself things and to push boundaries and to really if you're if you're passionate very quickly about things like I am then you you should consider a field work like that because you can really make a difference in your community by doing something of that style. So would you recommend that experience? Um, maybe like someone's looking at 
an emerging site as an option right now, would you recommend it? I think it depends. Know yourself before you go into it. Know your, If you're someone who, and I mean, I would say I excel with structure. I really do. But if if you're someone who is already pretty structured and you can organize yourself and you can teach yourself and you can push yourself, if you're a pretty motivated individual, then yes, I would, I would say so. Some people need a little bit more of that like external push from another person, um, which is also perfectly fine, but that might just not be the best type of setting for you if that's the case. I like that recap of that one. A lot of good stuff that I... <laughs> I'm glad that you're able to share that insight with people because I feel like emerging sites are pretty rare. Yeah, so, I know a lot of OTs that didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think was the hardest part of the second level two? <laughs> My second level two, there was a lot more of that someone's watching me and someone's <laughs> looking at me and seeing how I'm doing. Um, and I had seriously just the most incredible CI, just the most incredible CI who probably would have never judged me for doing anything wrong. But at the same time, like the entire time, I was just thinking to myself like, oh my gosh, what if I'm doing this wrong? Or what if this isn't right? It was neuro and I'm not a kinesiology minded person. I'm like what I would call like an arts and crafts OT, <laughs> even though neuro is one of my biggest passions but it just that was a huge learning curve for me working on you know upper extremity skills figuring out like body mechanics and how to help someone like how to assist with walking where do you put the pressure how do you move them and so then you know and you're in this giant gym with all the different therapists around and you're trying to help this patient who is max assist for standing and you just you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so awkward and uncomfortable right now because I don't think I know what I'm doing. And there's literally a physical therapist standing <laughs> across across the room just staring at us because everyone everyone's, was super helpful at that site and would literally come running if you needed help with anything. But the entire time I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. So there was there was more of that anxiety with that one of... I have no clue what I'm doing and I'm really just thrown into it, but it also made me love it so much more. So how do you think um, that transition from going to little supervision to having, you know, I guess you were with him always or? He was there. Yeah. Most of of the time. How was that transition for you? It wasn't, I, it was um, a welcomed one. I would say after all that time, I was like, oh, I'm excited for someone to just be like, this is how you do things. (laughs) I was really excited for it going into it. Mine was similar in that when I showed up, he had another student that was finishing up. So that was a really interesting aspect to me because it was one of our classmates and she was finishing up with her first uh, level two because she had to start hers kind of late just because of everything. And so then I had one of my classmates essentially kind of teaching me things, which was a, it was just an interesting uh, perspective to that. But with my, with my, yeah, it was, I feel like a lot more of that, oh, I need to be on my game. 
and not necessarily because he pushed it like that but it was a that made it more difficult in different ways like it was easier because I had someone that I could immediately turn to and say I don't know what I'm doing with this or can you help me with this but at the same time it's someone who's saying so why'd you do that like that <laughs> and then you're yes. like oh oh um well <laughs> the what do you think I'm like I don't know it's I'm asking you <laughs> I I was joking with him one time because he's he's not the kind of CI that kind of like tries to trick you into things. He's pretty straightforward if he doesn't agree with you on something. But one time we were, I was running a group and we were doing, I was giving them home exercise programs to practice for upper extremity. And I had printed some off and the session that we were currently in was running long. And so he's like, I'm going to go grab those home exercise programs to give to the next group. And he finds them on my desk and he goes, is it these? And I was like, yeah, it's those. And he goes, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's those. And he goes, are you sure, sure? And he like shows them to me. And I was like, oh my God, are these bad? And so then I just turned to him. I'm so, I turned to him and I go, is that wrong? <laughs> I was like, are those bad? Should I not use those? And he was like, and then he just started laughing. He was like, no, no, I just wanted to make sure. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but it was just so, uh, no tact. I have no tact. Um. No, I think that goes like the confidence thing though. Like my CI kept, would always tell me like, if I ask you something, like your answer needs to be very, like you need to have conviction with what you're saying. So like he would ask me like, oh, how many times do they need to do this exercise? And I would, at first I'd be like, uh, 20, I don't know, like 10 you know, like a question mark at the end. And then he'd be like, no, like if it's 10, tell me 10, you know, that kind of thing. So you were dealing with two populations that if I had been in your shoes, I feel like that would have been like really emotionally challenging. Did you feel that way as well? And if so, how did you (laughs) deal with it? Oh my goodness. I was a wreck. I was a wreck throughout all my field works. Um, my first one was so, so difficult for me. And I think that one was even better because it was like, after I'm done, they don't have an occupational therapist. Like I need to give them my all. And it's, and, and it's children. And when children tell you sad stories, you just, it just breaks your heart. That one really, I feel like actually prepared me pretty well for the next one. Uh, which was also emotionally exhausting, but I, at one point, I just had to tell myself, like, I can only do as much as I can do, and I, like, that, I just gotta stop there, I can't think about, well, what is everyone else doing, because that's not my job, somebody, it's somebody else's job, and I'm doing the best that I can, and I gotta just leave it at that, and be proud of myself for what I've done, but it wasn't easy. And I, there were many days that I stayed up. I couldn't sleep just thinking about them and thinking about their situations. And it was just that, that was really difficult. And there's also, there were days where I just would come home and I'd start crying because it was so hard, like hearing what their stories were. And instead of saying like, oh, you know, like I need to be better at emotionally detaching because that is one of my, what I consider a a weakness of mine. I just told myself like, it is hard and I get to cry. I get to cry and it's okay. Like this is how I'm dealing with it. 
And I just let myself have it. And I would say, okay, like right now we're going to cry and then we're going to go and make dinner and focus on something else for a little bit. And that helped me a lot. Just saying like, I feel this way and it is completely acceptable and valid for me to feel this way because that is a lot to take on emotionally. And then my second one was more, I feel like emotionally taxing and that there, there were a lot of different emotions involved with it. Not just like, oh, I don't know if I like, am I doing enough or how can I help them? Or this is just, you know, like, I wish I could do more for them, even though there was some of that. But it would be like, today I laughed and I got annoyed and I felt confused and I felt tired and I felt angry and I felt frustrated and I felt sad. And it was just a lot of everything. Like you could go from one session having a patient like about to hit you with a cane and then go to a next session where you have a patient who's crying and you're just like, this is a lot of different things. One of the students that I was doing my field work with at the end of the day when we'd be documenting across from each other we would say, was today physically tiring or emotionally tiring? Uh, Because there's there's two different kinds. But that one, it was easier for me to go home and say, okay, like I did enough. And I think because I had that prior experience with my other one. But then also, I think what really helped me was saying I have a team of other specialists who also know about this and like I can talk to them about it like we would have moments where I would turn to someone and I'd be like that was really hard today during that session and like how are you how do you deal with that or how do how do we do this and kind of reaching out to the other professionals around you is also really important so yeah I would say that was my advice overall for for those two different kinds of settings Was there something in either or both of them that you learned that you maybe weren't expecting to learn? I think in my first one, I learned a lot about the foster care population. And I ended up actually writing a paper that I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I probably will do something with it eventually, of the role of OT in foster care. And there's some other stuff I've read out there but I just feel like it's a setting that's not really explored as much as it should be and I just did not expect to get feel so passionate about it and for it to be something that now that I know what I can provide for that kind of setting I'm like we should all be (laughs) everyone needs to be working in in that kind of setting it's so important yeah that was definitely huge for me in learning more about populations that we don't typically treat and then for my, God, there was so much I learned in that second field work, but I definitely, I mean, there's little things like I, I learned a lot about spinal cord injuries, which I wasn't expecting to learn as much as I did because I wasn't sure if that was a population that they actually worked with or not, but they had, a, we had a couple of patients with spinal cord injuries. And so I ended up really learning a lot about that. And then I also, another thing that I learned, which I think everyone should do if you're a clinician, they let me take a class on, what did they call it? It's kind of like an intervention style for, to reduce the risk of maybe like a physical outburst from a patient. Mm -hmm. And 
they they taught me like different speaking styles for patients who are maybe getting upset and how to notice anxiety and how they communicate with you and how you should communicate back with them to help them through their anxiety. And then if they were to get physically aggressive, how to get out of a bunch of different holds. And that was super interesting. Was that for specific, I guess, like diagnoses or is that just like for people in general? It was for people in general. They kind of, they did talk to us about specific patients like, oh, you know, this patient gets kind of upset, but... It's more like generalized. I would say it's more generalized. Like you could generalize it. It wasn't for the pediatric population, but it was adults. And I don't, I just think if you're going to, if you're going to be in healthcare and working in a population where that's pretty common for there to be some kind of outbursts. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So helpful. And it made me feel so much more prepared going into a room with a patient that I'm like, yeah. Oh, you know, they do get kind of upset or aggressive sometimes. Okay, so last few questions, couple questions. Um, so what is your advice for people that are going out on their level ones or level twos? I'd say my number one advice is go into it with love. Really just kind of hone in on that. Like why do you why do you love what you do? And just put that love into everything that you do, like into every note, into every interaction. Like it, I've, I was around a bunch of other students in my second field work and it flows through them when they love what they do and they, they care about their patients, like go into it with your heart completely open because it will just make your experience all that much better and other people will notice it and you will have a bigger impact. And then my, my second, my second piece of advice is things will, you will do something and you will feel absolutely horrible and you will feel like it's the end of the world. And more likely than not, it's not the end of the world. It's not. And just with that same love that you put out, give it to yourself because those are the moments that you need it. And just remember like, there are so many people who have been in your shoes and who have done what you've done and there are mistakes that people have made. And I mean, yeah, there's big mistakes out there, but like if you're trying your best and people around you will notice that and it just mistakes happen and you just got to be kind to yourself and you can't let it eat you up. And as long as you're willing to learn from that, then that's what this is all about. I definitely a hundred percent back that statement up (laughs) okay so now how do you feel that it's over like what are your what are your wrap-up thoughts of field work and ot school i'm sad so mine also i amy's ended abruptly she had to go into telehealth mine also ended abruptly i got i got covid from i'm suspecting from one of the patients that was at the site that I think that that's the most likely way because I I have been very very careful, and so I didn't get to do <laughs> the last two weeks of my field work, and it was heartbreaking and it was just it felt maybe a little bit like it wasn't over. But so that was like if your field work's really if you're like oh my gosh like this is just hard just remember also like there's gonna be a day when it's over and you're gonna be like I'm, I miss it I miss doing yeah. what I'm doing, but it. It did get me really excited to start working somewhere 
it's weird. I, I told my dad, it feels like it's a constant challenge, you know, like it's a challenge to get through undergrad and you, then you're, it's a challenge to get into OT school and then it's a challenge to get through OT school and then it's a, just challenge after challenge after challenge and then field work ended and I'm like, now I have the MDCOT. And he, he told me, you got to stop seeing it that way because all the other ones you made it through that like there's no need for you to say like say this is a challenge it's not a challenge it's just the next step <laughs> and that's just what that is it it was a it was definitely a weird ending to it and i had probably the weirdest fieldwork experiences yeah uh, external experiences that you yeah. could have in your field i moved like three different times and got almost involved yeah i almost got attacked by a rattlesnake and there was just a lot of a lot of external stuff that was happening at the same time i think don't forget like life continues to happen while you're in field work um life continues to happen while you're in ot school and life continues to happen at any point and that's that's just how it is and can't forget that yeah this pandemic didn't stop everything you know yeah but I don't know this has been like truly just the most incredible journey of my life I've learned so much and I am a hundred percent a way better human being than I was before I started OT school like I'm like god I sucked before this (laughs) (laughs) I'm so motivated I'm so passionate like I feel and I'm so confident like the fact that I can say those things about myself I would have never back in the day but it's like I know it just absolutely 100% changed me and who I am as a person. And it just feels like I wouldn't trade this for anything. Like it is, it is incredible. It's amazing. Well, you're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was talking to um, my therapist the other day and, um, something that I told her because we were saying bye and she's like, Oh my God, like next time I talk to you, you're going to be graduated. Like you're going to be done with everything. And I told her, I was like, yeah, you know, my big boy pants haven't arrived yet. And then she said something that just kind of blew my mind. She was just like, Oh, it doesn't matter when they get there. Like you're going to get them and they're still going to be way too big. But that's the point is Mm -hmm. that they're going to be big and you grow into them. And I was just like, Oh oh my God. (laughs) okay I love that yeah like I I really really loved it I was just like wow okay we that made me think we had a a patient who was really struggling at my second level two with seeing her own progress and she she just emotionally she just felt so defeated and it she said everyone keeps saying like oh you know there's there's a light at the end of this like there's uh, you're just right around the corner of like making big strides with um, all of your goals. And she just said, you know, I feel like I just keep going down this hall and I just don't see the corner. I don't see the corner at all. And my CI said, the craziest thing is, is that you already passed that corner. You've passed so many corners and you're on to the next one and you haven't even realized it because you're right in front of yourself. And you don't see those things. Your your eyes are on your feet because you're focused on walking. You don't look up and you see how far you've come. And it's just uh, like you just got to continue to remind yourself like 
oh, you've, you've, you're way past that corner and you're on to the next thing. And you don't think, you don't think that you're even there yet. Oh, psh, you're miles ahead of where you, where you were before. Yes. That reminds me of um, the instructor that we had for therapy ed. She kept saying this throughout the, throughout the course. She was just like, at the end of the day, she would say, okay, take seven minutes to look at what you did today and highlight your strengths, highlight what you know and, you know, where your strengths are. And she was like, don't just focus on the bad because you wouldn't do that with your patients. Like you wouldn't have them focus Mm -hmm. on all of their weaknesses. You know, you would highlight their strengths. So why not do that for yourself? All right. Is there anything final that you want to tell the class? I mean, maybe we can preface that um, we will be doing a COVID, Anna's COVID experience episode um soon yeah so we'll talk about that more if anyone has any questions about my COVID experience <laughs> dm us <laughs> email um, us yes but yeah no i just think really and i was i was thinking about this while we were just discussing this entire episode like you know i could sit here and tell you oh i learned about doing this assessment. I learned about uh, two-point discrimination. I learned about the BiVAVA vision assessment. I could walk you through everything that I did in my field work, and that would be amazing and fascinating, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But at the same time, it's like the hardest part of field work is not actually that stuff. It's actually like just the emotional getting through it mm-hmm. and pushing yourself through it and like, the the internet and your books and your friends exist for asking them about uh, two-point discrimination. Um, when it comes to getting yourself through the emotional side of it, it's more of a personal challenge. That's so true. That's so, so true. Don't, if you're super stressed out about like, I don't know enough about this, yeah, you won't. <laughs> Let me just tell you now, you won't know enough about this or that or whatever. But it's not even about that. That's not even what they're looking at. Yeah. Wow. Oh, what a great note to end on, I think. Yes. Do you do you have a favorite occupation of your week? Do I have a favorite? No, because this whole freaking past week and a half has been a hot mess. I do not have a favorite occupation this week. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> oh, actually, I do, I guess. Kind of. Um. I've been going to physical therapy um, for about a week mm. now because I really uh, messed up my back. Yeah, I messed up my back. It was my upper back too. So I, although I knew kind of how to therapize myself, I couldn't therapize myself because my arms only work this way. So I went to go see a PT because they have direct access and I wanted to save myself some time. and it's been helping a lot. And I didn't, I was a little, not going to lie, I was a little skeptical going in, but yeah, they're great. They've been working on my back and my neck and feeling good. Do do you talk to them about OT? Um, actually one of the rehab aides, she's applying to OT school right now. Oh, nice. Um, so when I went in for my eval, she was like, talking to me about some stuff and chatted for a little bit but the PT's always like today she checked in on me she was like so how's studying going and I was like well it's 7 a.m and I haven't started yet so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that thing was probably my favorite also like it's cool because I feel like now I have a little bit more of like an appreciation for PT 
that I didn't previously. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what's your favorite mm-hmm. occupation this week? Um, I have been helping my mom decorate the house for Christmas. Tis and the that's season. What, for all of y'all that don't know, Christmas is Amy's absolute <laughs> favorite holiday after her birthday. Um, Absolutely true. <laughs> and so... But yeah, that's what I've been, what I've been doing on my, when I take a break or have time off, I help her decorate and I've been making, I've been like DIYing different decorations and so it's keeping me going at this point. (laughs) That's cool. Nothing like a little Christmas cheer to brighten up the mood. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to plug social media? Yes. Okay. Follow us on Instagram at Occupation Station Pod. Uh, we have a link tree on that account where you can find all of our different um, platforms that you can listen to us on. You can also follow us on Facebook. I believe that one's also the Occupation Station Podcast. And you can email us at um, Occupation Station Pod at gmail.com. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye.